Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Thank you very much for that uh, introduction. I'm so honored to be with you here today, uh, especially as we have an opportunity for the next two or three days to talk about the importance of military ministry to include uh, one of our ministry efforts to plant churches near military bases. We have a goal to plant a military-based uh, chapel near every military base in the world, which is about 180-some-odd bases here in the United States and overseas about 80-some-odd bases. So uh, it's really an exciting time. I would like you to take your Bibles, please, if you have them. We may have the scripture up on, uh, on the board. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 beginning with verse 10 through 20, probably a text that you have read many, many times, but one that's very appropriate for the day in which we live. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, and I'm going to ask you once again to stand for the reading of God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may always declare it boldly, even as I ought to speak. Join me in prayer. Father, I ask you to take uh, the foolishness of preaching uh, through this humble servant, Father, and speak your word to this audience, those who have been called, Father, into the ministry. Father, those who have a calling upon their life as a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, come and bless everything that takes place uh, here in these next few moments of the proclamation of your word. And Father, even as we are in the comfort of this building, I ask your prayers in Jesus' name regarding those whose lives are being affected by Hurricane Dorian. Father, would you bless and watch over all of those in Lord. As sovereign God, we ask you, Father, to stay that storm and save human life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, I've been married 46 years, and that includes about 26 uh, geographical moves. One of the things that I've learned for a successful marriage of 46 years is to say yes, dear, more often. That solves a lot of arguments. One of the things that my wife asked me to do was to uh, downsize. You know, we have two adult daughters, four grandchildren, and uh, we, she's really into downsizing. So I, I finally 
submitted to my wife that I was going to downside it. I've, I've gone through boxes that have probably stayed packed for at least 38, 40 years during my time on active duty. And it's just amazing some of the junk that we not only collect, but that we take literally all over the world. And it was moved at the government's expense. Some of the things are in these boxes. It's just ridiculous. I finally got up enough courage to open up an olive drab colored army footlocker. And looking through some of those items, not to put on eBay, but perhaps just to to give away or put out at the curb. And I came upon an item that reminded me of how essential that one little piece of military equipment was important to every foot soldier. It was designed, manufactured, and then distributed over 100 years ago during the buildup of World War I. And and like any other piece of military equipment, it has a formal name. I will not give you the national stock number this this morning because that's even more confusing. But I will give you its formal nomenclature. It is an M1910 soldier support system. And in, uh, in earth language, it's nothing more than a utility belt. It's just a nasty looking web belt, a pistol belt. A belt that was made of woven green canvas, full of these little ugly black metal grommets that would hold equipment. In fact, it would hold all of the soldiers' equipment. A pistol belt, a utility belt, holds everything from from your pistol, your sidearm, an ammunition uh, pouch, bayonet, canteens, an entrenching tool, which is a formal name for a little shovel, first aid kit, a compass, a fanny pack, suspenders, maybe a large backpack, and a poncho. All held together by one little belt that surrounds your waist. And by itself, it's not one of those things that you would ever attempt to bargain with at Goodwill or a thrift store or an army surplus store. But it was, and it still remains even in our modern equipment, that utility belt that our troops keep around their waist that holds all the equipment in place. You know, the Apostle Paul had a a long time to look over the full armor of Roman soldiers who guarded him for a number of years. We know in Acts chapter 24, verse 26, that he spent at least two two years in prison at Caesarea. Another two years under house arrest at Rome, where he perhaps was chained at the wrist and at his ankle to a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers' battle dress gave Paul all sorts of images for illustrations and perhaps even this text that I've read to you as he looked over these Roman soldiers and he was given sermon illustrations to prove his point that once you and I come into the kingdom of God as children of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, it's not a picnic. Those of you coming into the ministry for the first time, let me warn you, hold on. It's a great challenge. Paul talks about a belt, this belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes that were the gospel of peace, shields of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it's interesting that in this list of armor, Paul zooms in on perhaps one of the most important pieces of the Roman soldier's armor. It was a leather belt, basically a piece of leather that was around the waist covered all the vital organs, 
It covered the liver, the kidneys, the stomach, the groin area. Often you would see leather straps that were hanging down almost to his waist with metal plates for extra protection and balls of bronze or some other hard metal to keep the flaps from moving. And like our pistol belt today, the utility belt, the Roman soldier's belt also was very resourceful. It held all of the things that a Roman soldier might need. Food, snacks, ammo pouches, a water flask, arrows, a small knife. It also was something that they would use to uh, keep their equipment secure so it was just not flapping around when they were in the midst of, of a fight. It was also used, as Paul says, to fasten on the belt of truth. This belt could be used to gird your loins, which basically the Roman soldier wore something like a nightshirt or a tunic underneath all of this armor down to the knees. It almost looked like a dress. And so when he had heard the first sound of danger, he would take this cloth and pull it up underneath his belt so that he could run 360 degrees anywhere at a moment's notice against the sound of danger. By the way, Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, that you and I are to stay dressed for action. We're to gird up our loins. We're to keep the lamps burning. We're to be like servants waiting for the master to come back from a wedding feast. We're to be ready, instant in and out of season. So what is the belt of truth? The belt of truth protects our heart. God's word protects our heart. That's what God desires in all of our lives. He desires truth in our inward parts. Truth strengthens us for the fight of faith. I'll tell you what, truth holds us together. It helps us to remain ready for whatever's going to take place in our ministry in this life today. I hesitate to ask this first question at a seminary, a Southern Baptist seminary, but I've got to ask it. What is truth? I don't want to ask it here because Southeastern Seminary, you have such a great reputation in our convention and among other faith groups for the types of men and women that you train and equip and send out on the mission field as preachers, missionaries, lay people, chaplains, who know how to rightly divide the Word of God, who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just this morning, I received a, a note from one of your alumni, Chaplain Captain Jose Rondon. Some of you may have heard of him. He's assigned to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Last March, as the North American Mission Board does, we have a calendar where you pray for missionaries, church planners, chaplains. Last March of 2018, we began praying for Jose Rondon. And in his prayer, he prayed that as Southern Baptists prayed for him, that God would spark revival among one of the largest basic training units in the armed services. Jose told me this morning that as of last March 2018, the Lord has seen 8,404 soldiers making first-time professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. To God be the glory. But the reality is, and the reason why we have to ask the question, what is truth? We live in a post-truth culture that's full of false doctrine, fake news, 
and heresies from the very pit of hell. So let's look at the Bible very quickly as far as what it says about truth. There's two words uh, in the Bible that talk predominantly about truth, and the first one sounds like this. I mean, we've uh, said it even this morning, I believe, in our praise music. Amen. It's used 126 times in the Old Testament. And basically, it's a declaration, an affirmation that you believe what you have just heard. You don't have to agree with it because it's the Word of God. It is firm. It's fixed. It's binding. It's certain. That's how it's used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a word that's used 111 times, aletheia, and it means reality. Biblical truth is reality. It's a certainty. It's the alpha and the beginning, the end of all things. It's a fixed standard. That's what truth is. In other words, truth is that in which all things must conform or confess. The true reality of everything is found in the form of our creator God. In the beginning, God. Sovereign God is creator, sustainer, the originator of everything, including truth. Which means to me that only God is our fixed standard for anything of all that is. He is certain, he is real, he is firm. The scripture says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow or turning within him. The book of Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says this, God is not like us that he should lie or that he should change his mind. If God has said something in his word, will he not do it? If God has spoken something to us, will he not fulfill it? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 says, there are two things that are unchangeable, immutable, eternal about the God of truth. Number one, he keeps his oath when he makes one. Number two, he doesn't break his promises. So truth is that which is certain. It's that which is genuine, that which is real, that which is objective. There's no error. It's beyond time, space, emotions, culture, religious tradition, public opinion polls. Truth is the objective standard by which all of life is measured. All of reality is understood. And as we begin reading Genesis to Revelation, you hear about the God of truth in the word of truth. Probably some of, if not the most important words in the Bible, if you can believe these few words, you can believe Genesis to Revelation. In the beginning, God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says, The Lord, the Lord our God, is a God of mercy and grace. He is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness and truth. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 says, God is a God of truth and he is without iniquity. Listen to this, Psalm 25, verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are nothing more than steadfast love and truth. One of the scriptures that I have claimed so many times in my life is the same that Jesus cried from the cross, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit, O God of truth. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, the word of God is upright. All God's work is done in truth. And David says in Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Every word of God's endures forever. 
In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, it's prophesied by Isaiah that when Messiah comes, as we all know in Christ Jesus, righteousness will be his belt. The truth is the belt around his loins. And so in John chapter 1, verse 14, what do we read? In him was the fullness of life. He is full of grace and full of truth. Jesus says to us in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus promises us in chapter 15 and chapter 16 of John that when he leaves, he will send us the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth, who will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 17, Oh God, sanctify my people in your truth. Your word is the truth. And brothers and sisters, if we want to know the truth in this post-truth world in which we live, remember the words of John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If anyone is my, continues in my word, he is my disciple indeed. And he or she will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the book of Ephesians, I believe that Paul, as he saw that belt of truth, he was looking upon a church that in some respects was struggling with the truth. In chapter 4, Paul warns the, the saints of God that they need the truth, they need to mature in the truth, and no longer be children handling the truth, not being tossed to and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. I don't have to tell this seminary audience this morning that if you're looking for truth, you're only going to find truth in one place, and it's in a living, vital relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we love Him, the truth is that we will put away our childish things. We will walk as children of light, Ephesians 5 verse 9, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love does not rejoice in wrong, but love rejoices in the truth. One of my most difficult and challenging moments in my military career was sitting in Camp Virginia, Kuwait. We were just preparing to go to war and move forward into Baghdad. And we were having a dress rehearsal to make sure that all the equipment worked, that everyone understood the signals, that Everything was working properly, but that particular day, nothing was working. The communication had stopped because of some, some problems with, with, with sandstorms and some other atmospheric things. My three-star general at the time, God bless him, I love him like a brother, he, uh, he lost it. You ever been around somebody that sort of loses it? I mean, he began to redress each one of us, and the more that he talked... The more profanity came out of his mouth. And before he had finished that speech, every person in this Joint Operations Center was standing at attention, including myself. And he continued until he finished. And by the way, he didn't say amen, but we heard it. You know, we need to get the communications fixed. He stormed out of the room and threw a few things. And uh, there was something that began to boil up in me. You know, we've been called to speak the truth to power. There are some things that we, we will experience that you're just going to have to stand up and speak the truth. And may God give us his courage to speak the truth when it must be spoken. So I talked to his aide and I said, uh, the old man, that's what we call him, the old man, that's what I am now, the old man lost it. I said, I've got to go talk to him. That w 
He was using the Lord's name in vain. We're about to go into a shooting war. And I certainly don't want to profane God at this particular moment, if ever. I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit begins working on me regarding issues of truth, my, it's like my heart almost wants to pound out of my chest. So I went several hours later to talk to my general. And I remember standing at attention and he looked up at me like maybe he wanted to hit me with something. But I remember him saying, I lost it, didn't I? Yes, sir. I shouldn't have said all those curse words. No, sir. Probably owed the troops an apology. Yes, sir. Okay, that's all. And he sent me out, and I thought, that was one of those moments, ministry of presence. I don't know what I did other than say yes, sir, and no, sir, at the right times. And maybe, just maybe, when you allow the truth of God God to be the countenance in your life, people are convicted by the Christ that is in you. You and I, brothers and sisters, in this world in which we live, we must be agents of truth. Why? Because there is a war going on. There's a war against the truth. You and I are truth tellers. Do you realize the challenge of that task? That we must be anointed by the Holy Spirit if we're going to boldly proclaim what God says to to proclaim in churches, beside hospital beds, on In combat zones, we must be anointed with God's Holy Spirit so that we might proclaim the truth. And it could could put us in jail. we, We could be killed for our faith. But we must proclaim the truth. We've been at war since the beginning of time. When Satan in the Garden of Eden asked the first question to deceive Adam and Eve... Did God say? The war was against Christ in the desert. The war was against the church of Ephesus. Where Paul even said in Acts chapter 20, shortly after I leave here, you're going to have ravenous wolves who will come to distort the truth, deceiving you with schemes and heresy so that you fall away from the truth. It's interesting to look at the book of Revelation and see the seven churches. They were challenged with uh, one of two things. Either to be polluted by compromise or to be persecuted because they refused to compromise. And I really believe that's kind of where we are today. We need to be confident like Job who says, Lord, though he slay me, I am going to trust in the God of truth. You know, last week, maybe two weeks ago, I read an an editorial by John Cooper of the Christian band Skillet. Now, I can't tell you that I listened to a steady diet of Skillet, but I like some of their songs. (laughs) But he was reacting. Some of you may have read it on his Facebook page or Uh, It it was an editorial. He was reacting to two well-known Christian leaders who basically say, I'm done with Christianity. I mean, these are two well-known Christian leaders, influencers, if you will, that everyone turns to or quotes. 
And yet, they've both fallen away from the faith. They've sung praises to God and now they don't believe any of it. They don't believe there's any absolute truth. And we have had too many Christian influencers, too many Christian leaders, too many Christians who are falling away from the truth of God. Here's what John Cooper says. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word of God. It is time for us to value truth and to hear truth. And we must believe the truth over feeling, over emotion, over our denominational tradition. Is it any wonder that some of our Christian leaders' lives are falling apart after they have denied absolute truth in God. He concludes by saying, as we search for the relevancy of the gospel in 2019, let's not find ways to shape God's word into the image of our own culture. It's time to hold on even tighter to the truth. It's time to anchor our lives in the living Word of God. And the Apostle Paul is challenging us even this day. It is time for you and I to fasten our belt of truth and not to let go. Isaiah the prophet says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Brothers and sisters, you've been equipped or you will be equipped to take forth the truth of God. The Lord God has has called you to engage our culture, every culture, with the truth of God. My challenge to you this day, regardless of your age, or your position in the Christian world, may we hold on to the truth, the truth that's only found in Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. I leave you with one piece of beautiful truth that sounds new every time I hear it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Father, I ask you to take this word, this message, and use it as you see fit. You're the God of truth. Father, cause us to be hungry for your truth. Cause us to be disciplined in your truth. Cause us to be emboldened with your truth. Keep us from compromising your truth. Oh God, anoint us as we speak the truth. And Lord, may we engage the nations with your truth as we await the return of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.